Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good? Awesome. We're excited for another week to be in the Lord's presence place. We're so excited to what he's going to be doing. Let's stand tonight as we open by the reading of Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, for the privilege and honor that it is to be able to worship your name in this place, God, to give you the glory that you deserve. After a long week, Lord God, and all of us battling certain things and going through trials and, and just stresses of life, God, I thank you, Lord, that we can come into this place to rest in you to be with other believers, to be encouraged and lifted up, God. We ask that you would have your way with our hearts tonight. Be with everything that is said and done in this place. And may we be changed from the inside out. In your name we pray. All the God's believers agreed by saying, amen. Why don't you guys turn around and say hello to each other, and then we will worship tonight. I can't 
keep walking to a city I cannot see. Fill my cup warm, run it over. Give me love, give me joy, give me peace. Fill my cup warm, run it over. I am your child in me, am your child in me.
Prone to wonder 
when it's appropriate, giving thanks. And uh, it's a very simple way to, to keep the conversation going with him and blessing him and having him take pleasure in our lives given to him. And um, if we just together say we can, we can acknowledge him, He's, he comes to church too. So uh, we're so thankful for all that you have done. We're so Darkness is right and the darkness is wrong. 
Sure. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, let's give it up again for Terry and Nancy Clark. They are legends around this. How long have you guys been coming here now? Like over for what? 46 years? What? <laughs> That's crazy. All right, on that, in the old building, yeah. That's crazy. Let's check out this week's announcements, everybody. Hey, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Round it up. Hey, I said, I said bring it in. Oh my goodness, guys. Let's go, it's time to go. Your period is done. What is this? These kids, all they do is play, 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 and never work, work, work. Focus on school. <sighs> guys, we need help. If you like kids and want to work with them, come to the PCA office for support staff and substitute teaching. Oh my goodness, guys. If you weren't playing around, this wouldn't have happened. Get up. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. Go to the office. Let's go. Let's go. My goodness. Us fun facts. Why is there a truck in the lobby? Why is there a motor in the bathroom? Is a motor in the bathroom for this truck? <laughs> no. But anyways, why are you in the truck? Pilot point. But did you know that this packing house truck used to transfer the oranges from the orange grove. Oh, that makes sense. That's why this place is called Packing House. Ah. Stay tuned next week for part two. That was my line. My bad, bro, my bad. Hey, you're gonna learn a lot about the Packing House here. I'll tell you that. Well, tonight we wanna encourage anyone who might be visiting for the first time, just a reminder that we do have communion set up throughout the sanctuary. You could partake of that at any time. And all, if you wanna support the staff, or the staff here, if you wanna support the ministry here at the Packing House, you can place your offerings in the boxes in the back and in the foyer. And uh, before Pastor Greg shares the word tonight, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon each of us, God. We thank you for the blessing that you are to our lives, God. And as we come before you tonight in this moment, Lord, I pray that your presence would be impactful in our hearts, Lord, that you would draw us into your presence, that through the word that you've been Greg this week, Lord, to study, to bring to our hearts, that we would be brought closer to you, Lord, that your forgiveness, your mercies, your grace would be poured upon our hearts, God. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for this place that we get to come to every single week, Lord, free of persecution, free of shame, free of worries of, of just being persecuted for our faith, Lord God. We know that in other countries, other parts of the world, people are dying that stand up for your name, Lord God. And tonight, we're thankful, Lord, that we can come here and know that you're going to speak to us and that this body of Christ that assembled here tonight is going to strengthen each other, is going to lift each other up, Father, and get us through another week, Lord, of following you. We thank you for the purpose that you've put upon our hearts, Lord, upon our lives, God, and help us to just keep following you and surrendering our hearts to you, Father. We lift this time to you. We ask that you to have your way in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Terry. Good evening, church. 
Good evening. If you could stand, we're going to read together a couple of the verses out of the passage we're going to look at tonight. We're in Luke 19, starting in verse 41. But it says there, Now as he drew near, he saw the city, this would be Jerusalem, this, the he is Jesus, and he wept over the city, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture and the verses that follow. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, as we look to you, as we consider what's happening here, that you'd set people free, that you'd comfort people, Lord, with what they're going through. We commit this night to you, this time in the scripture. We pray you'd bless it to your glory and our joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said together, you may be seated, please. So we're going to look at this passage. It's one of two verses in the Bible that shows us Jesus weeping. And we're going to see why he wept here over the city of Jerusalem. There was a guy in the 1800s named Albert Smith, and he said that tears, tears are the safety valve of the heart when too much pressure is laid upon it. I spent a lot of time this week considering this very human phenomenon of crying, of tears, of weeping, which is on another level, of even getting choked up, you know, where you can't talk for a moment. We've probably all been choked up at some time. These are all very human responses to all the different kinds of emotions that run through our souls, you know, including emotions like sadness, even joy. We can be brought to tears or be choked up with joy as well as sadness. Some people, they, they weep in anger. Others in relief, you know, and even other, for other things. But it's been said, when a man cries, when a man cries, it's not because he's weak, but it's because he's been strong for too long. There's a Jewish proverb that says, what soap is to the body, tears are to the soul. It's interesting because I, I seem to not cry when other people typically cry, you know, and then I get all choked up, you know, it seems when other people don't. I used to think I was weird, you know, when I was younger, but now I understand everybody's, everybody's got a little bit of a different emotional makeup. You know, just like physically and chemically, we're all a little bit different. That's why some medications will work for one person and they have to find something else for another because chemically we're different. But emotionally, we're different and we've all been through different things in life, you know. I got all choked up recently. I watched with my wife, I watched a documentary on Jesse Owens 
when he won four gold medals at the 1936 Olympics in Germany, right in front of the monster racist Adolf Hitler. I was all choked up. I was like, this is so amazing, you know? I get choked up when my kids, my kids make a breakthrough in something they've been trying for, they've been struggling with, when they make a breakthrough. I get choked up many times, you know, on a memory of my mom and dad who have passed and they've gone to be with the Lord. And I find myself, when I'm thinking of my mom, I laugh and and I cry at the same time because... Man, she was such a character. (laughs) You know, some people cry in physical pain. I don't. You know, I moan and complain a lot, (laughs) but there's no tears. You know, many people cry in emotional pain, some for joy, others when they're relieved, you know, after finals, when the pressure's off, all of a sudden they burst out in an emotional outburst, you know. Acts of kindness, man, they get me going. Not, they haven't always, but in the last 10 or 15 years. I watched, I watched this guy, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy on YouTube, Judge Caprio from Providence, Rhode Island. He's a municipal judge there in Rhode Island. I just, he's, he, he's so merciful to the, to, and he's so treats people with dignity. Every time I watch him, there's these little five-minute YouTube clips. I, 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 I literally have tears coming off my face at the mercy of this judge, you know? There's another guy on YouTube who makes, he, he, he goes out and he fakes like he's a homeless guy and he asks, he begs people for money. And if someone gives him something, he gives it back and he gives them a hundred times whatever they gave him. He blows their minds. Every time, I'm, I don't know why, at this random generosity, it, I love watching it. It's like, it touches me somehow. You know, some people cry when they're hopeless. Other people cry when they feel empathy for someone. Others, out of gratitude. I've experienced that many times where you're just so grateful, you know, for somebody and what they've done towards you, or you're just so grateful for the people around your life, you know. It's interesting when there's a sudden tragedy, you know, which I've experienced a few times, you know, sudden tragedy. I used to be scared of those, but now I'm coming to see God's, God's been with me every time. You know, I find my adrenaline kicks in. I don't cry. I don't have tears. My adrenaline kicks in and I just get in this mode where I try to figure out what, what needs to be done. Like, if other people are doing things, I don't need to do it, but what, what else needs to be done? How can I help? And then it's later. It's later that the emotions hit. You know, I went through a hard season where I didn't cry, I didn't get choked up, I didn't feel any emotions. It was a season of depression. And I didn't cry for, there was no tears, there was no emotion for seven years. I was, it was back in my late 20s, early 30s, and I, it was scaring me. The, the numbness I felt inside for so long, and I remember the relief the first time 
And it was weird. I, it was a young mother pushing her little baby. It was down by the pier in Ocean Beach. And I, I, somehow I just looked at it and it, it brought tears to my eyes because it was so beautiful, this, la- this, this young gal with her baby. And I was like, oh, I'm alive inside again. Thank God, you know. You know, some people in depression, they, they can't stop crying. You know, that's not me. I, I didn't cry at all, and that scared me. You know, it might be you that, you, that you're tired of crying. You know, I can't judge you. We can't judge each other over these things, over these emotional responses, as if I, I can't judge another person because I'm not the standard of all human experience. And I've met people, they, they think that they're the standard of all human experience. No, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, we have to be careful that we don't judge people for their responses. We're all put together differently. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're differently made. And we've been through different stuff. And different experiences trigger some people inside differently than they trigger others. You know, the Bible records instances when many of the giants of the faith wept. Abraham wept at the grave of his dear wife, Sarah. Esau wept when he didn't get the blessing of his father. Hannah wept because she couldn't conceive a child. David and Jonathan wept when they knew that they were not going to see each other again. They were best friends. There's the prostitute who wept with brokenness and gratitude at the feet of Jesus. Peter wept after he failed, denying he even knew Christ. Mary Magdalene wept outside of Jesus' tomb, remember that? Before she saw him alive. John wept, Revelation chapter 5 verse 4, when nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. And then Jesus came forth, and wow, somebody's worthy, it's him. Verse 41 in our text, now as he drew near to Jerusalem, he's coming over the crest of the Mount of Olives, he saw the city. This is what triggered this emotion in Jesus when the city of Jerusalem came into view. Jesus begins not only to cry here, because that's one thing, but he began to weep. Imagine this, Jesus weeping. This is convulsively weeping. I don't know if you've ever, I've, I've, there, there's been a few times in my life where I've convulsively wept where it was like this deep, deep, it was like a volcano type thing inside and it lasts for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. This is what's happening to Jesus here. In a few days, he's gonna be crucified. Is that why he's weeping here? Is he weeping here for himself? We're gonna see in our text tonight that is not why he's weeping here. But in a few days, in a few days forward, he's going to be down. He's going to come back down, back from Jerusalem. Into, that's the, val, the Kidron Valley between where these folks are and where the city is. And down there <coughs> at the base of the Mount of Olives is where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And Jesus is going to weep 
there for himself over the in, in unthinkable agony as he's facing the horrors of the cross. But here he's not weeping for himself. Now Jesus' general emotional state was one of joy and rejoicing. There's many times in scripture we find him rejoicing before the Father. But as Isaiah 53 verse three shows us that the Messiah would be, he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He wasn't in a constant state of grief, but he was acquainted with it. He experienced the deep emotions that we experience. He understands the emotional turmoil that we may be in. You know, you've heard it said that the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five. it says, Jesus wept. You know, if you don't know any, if you haven't memorized any scripture, you can memorize that one really quickly right now. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. It's actually not the shortest verse in the original. It's the shortest verse in English, but in the Greek language, in the original... First Thessalonians 5.16 is shorter in Greek where it says rejoice to you and I. It says rejoice always, <laughs> which is so interesting to me. The two shortest verses in the Bible. Rejoice always. And we can rejoice always because Jesus wept. But he understands those times in our life when we're experiencing that type of emoting for all these different reasons. And so why is Jesus weeping here in Luke 19 verse 41 as he drew near to the city and he saw the city and he began to convulsively weep over it? Notice verse 42, it says he, he went on saying, and this would be with tears streaming down his face. He was, he was saying, if you had known He's speaking here to the city of Jerusalem. He's speaking to the Jewish people there, his people, his people. If you had known, even you, especially in this day, and we're going to look at that a little bit later, this very day, if you had known the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another because you didn't know the time of your visitation. He's not weeping for himself here. He's weeping for his people. He's weeping for the the chosen people, the very people he came out from. He weeps for their blindness to what he's about. They're blind to what he's about and what he's about to accomplish on the cross a few days henceforth. He knows that they're, he knows of their misguided expectations about what he's about to do in Jerusalem. He knows that what they're expecting is setting them up 
for disillusionment and even worse. He weeps because he knows that they expect him as Messiah to right then and there to lead a violent overthrow of Roman oppression over Israel and bring about a political peace that they so long for, that we all long for, that everybody longs for. Do you know that the turmoil we're in in our country, you know, and people on both sides of the aisle, they're like, what is happening here? (laughs) We long for political peace. Do you know that in every little hamlet and village and town and city around the world, everybody is longing for political peace. Everybody's frustrated. I've lived in Yugoslavia, I've lived in Hungary, I've lived in Austria, I've lived here in the United States, and it's the same everywhere. I was in Israel a month ago. Everybody has these longings. Jesus weeps because he knows that as they expect him right now, right then and there, they're expecting him to lead a violent overthrow, to bring a political peace. He knows that when these, his people, the Jewish people, when they realize he's not going to slaughter Romans this week and lead a political revolution, Jesus knows that they are going to be so disappointed in him that they're going to turn on him and he knows that the praise and the palm branches, the red carpet treatment that he's experiencing right here coming over the crest of the Mount of Olives, he knows that these very folks will soon be calling for his death. This is why he's weeping. And he further knows that by their insistence on resistance, and their push for violence against Rome and a political overthrow, Jesus knows that that is going to push the Romans not many years henceforth. And they're going to come and smash Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. Not one stone will be left upon another, and over a million Jews will be slaughtered. And many of the remaining will be scattered. Not all, but many of the remaining will be scattered out of the land. The days are coming. This is why he's weeping. He knows all this, and he pauses, looking over the city. He's looking over the city here that he so loves, and he's, he's begun to weep here convulsively. He's not weeping for himself. He's weeping for their loss. He's weeping, you know, for their coming pain. Now, many of them recognized him as Messiah. This whole entourage that's coming, they're they're crying out with all this praise. Remember we saw it last time, and the Pharisees said, Jesus, tell them to all to shut up this praise of you. And Jesus said, if these should be quiet, the very stones will cry out. They realize he's the Messiah. But as we've talked about, their idea of what the Messiah is all about was so off at this point. Their idea of what he was up to in this time of his visitation, on this day, 
Their idea was more based in their political desire and not in the word of God. And we've talked about how we all need to be careful. I've got political desires. I, got, I know exactly what I'm going to vote for. But I've got to be careful that my expectation of what God might be doing is not based upon my political desires, but it's based upon the word of God. They're expecting him to relieve them right then and there of their political frustrations, again, by leading this violent overthrow. And that is not, that is not what he's gonna do. That is not what he's gonna do. He's gonna do something so much bigger, so much more lasting for so many more people than what they as Israeli nationalists at that moment are wanting him to do. This is applicable to us. This is applicable to us. He's coming to make a much broader peace. He's going now into Jerusalem to take away the sin of the world, not just the sin of the Jewish people, so that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, Roman, whosoever would, might know peace with God. Peace with God. You want to bring about world peace? Man needs to know peace with God or else man doesn't have peace in himself. And if I don't have peace with myself, I'm not going to get along with you that doesn't have peace inside yourself. How are we expecting the world to get along? Jesus is bringing peace. But unless it starts with peace with God, I'll never know peace inside myself. And if you don't have peace within yourself and I don't, we're not going to get along. How do we expect nations full of people like us to get along? He's coming to solve the problem from the bottom up. Jesus weeps here because his people, the Jewish people, there in Jerusalem as he looks over the city are missing what he's all about. And how he is ultimately bringing in this ultimate universal peace. And the result of their missing is why he's weeping. Because it will be more than disillusionment. More than disillusionment. It will be more than just their calling for his death. But it will be also their continued defiance against Rome that will lead to their own destruction by Rome. Jesus weeps here because he knows that he's going to let them down and they're going to press on in their anger to their own hurt. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever been disillusioned because God allowed something or didn't do what you were expecting? I'll even ask you a harder question. Have you ever blasphemed God? I have. As a Christian. I'm not proud of it. I've been so mad at God. I've, I've cussed and it's embarrassing. I'm telling you the truth. 
And I was so relieved when I found Matthew 12, 31, where it says, Jesus says, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven the sons of men. You know, God knows how messy Christian growth is. He knows how, because we're so broken, he knows that even after he's invaded our lives, he knows that we get frustrated. We don't understand what's happening. He knows. And some of you, maybe you're like going, that's never happened to me. Well, you're a very compliant, very gentle soul. I'm not. (laughs) My Christian growth experience over the last 43 years has been messy. It's been a total mess. I, I don't bring most of it in public. My wife sees, she has a front row seat to the, to the mess. <laughs> She's seen more of it than anyone should ever see. But God can handle it. God can handle it. He can handle all of it. And I know he'll never, ever leave me nor forsake me. And I know that what he started in me, he's gonna finish until the day of Christ Jesus. Because he promised But I've found that when I've been disappointed with God, I've found that the whole while, though I couldn't see it, because I'm little, I've got a limited view. I'm a little speck of dust, a little piece, little tiny man. But I've come to know that the whole while that I'm mad, that he's working a much bigger, a much better and more lasting plan than what I was expecting him to do that frustrated me because that didn't happen or something happened that wasn't part of what I was expecting. After 40 plus years now walking with the Lord, I'm coming to see that God is good, he knows what he's doing, and he's always on time. Write that down and carry it around in your pocket. (laughs) God is good. He knows what he's doing. And he's always right on time. There's a lot less blasphemy in my life and a lot more praise because I'm growing in this messy process of God's growth in my life. There's a lot more surrender and a lot less me clinging to my agenda. It's one day at a time lately. I don't know what he's doing. It, everything is out of my control on so many levels. But I know that he's good. I've come to know that he's good. That he knows what he's doing. And that he's always right on time. Jesus weeps here because he knows that he won't meet their expectations and those who are praising him now, he knows that these that are coming down and praising, that are making the Pharisees mad, he knows that these people are gonna soon be disillusioned with him in the next few days, and many will abandon him and look for another Messiah who will do what they want in leading them in a defiance of Rome. Listen, and they're gonna find these guys. They're going to find these guys who will play Messiah 
in the way that they want him to. And all those revolts that rose up, all those guys got killed. You can read about them in the history books. Jesus knows that the continuing defiance of Rome is going to bring Rome to the point where Rome has had enough. And they're going to come in 37 years from this moment. Titus of Rome is going to come in. They're, they're going to have had enough. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to, every, the, the temple, like we saw in the passage, Jesus said every stone will be toppled down. And we know looking back in history that over a million, just over a million people were killed. And the rest, most of the rest were scattered. There was a remnant that remained in the land. Jesus weeps here because he sees where everything's headed. He sees where all these things are headed. And so with tears streaming down his face, he says, if you had known, verse 41 again, verse 42, excuse me, especially in this, your day, if you had known the things that make for your peace, I'm not bringing... I'm bringing political peace, but I'm bringing it the real authentic way that it's going to ever happen. It starts with peace between God and the human soul, and then peace inside of human beings in their own souls, and then peace with one another. And then when there's nations full of people that are at peace with God, at peace with themselves, at peace with each other, then an authentic peace comes. If you had known this your day, what makes for your peace? They're thinking political peace, which comes through violent overthrow, and Jesus isn't going to go there. And they're going to be so mad at him. If you had known this day the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. We're going to finish here in the next 10 minutes or so. And this is a huge topic that I'm only going to touch on. But Jesus is alluding here in verse 42 to perhaps the most amazing of all Bible prophecies that are partially fulfilled in what happened there with Jesus and in the destruction of Jerusalem 37 years later. And the, and the rest is yet to be fulfilled of this prophecy. Hundreds of years in advance, hundreds of years before Jesus, God showed Daniel, the prophet, the exact day, the exact day that Messiah would come and present himself to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. It is this day, this day, that Jesus is saying here, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, it's for you, this day, the things that make for your peace. We looked recently in our study in Daniel, if you come on Wednesday nights. We just finished the book of Daniel recently. Daniel had been in Babylonian exile. This is hundreds of years before Christ. Daniel in exile, he had been there for almost 70 years. 
And Daniel one day as an old man was reading out of the prophet Jeremiah. Here's the prophet Daniel reading about what, Dan, what Jeremiah wrote over 70 years earlier. He's there reading the scripture, the scroll in Hebrew. Daniel is there and he realizes while he's reading Jeremiah, 70 years. Jeremiah, before the exile happened of Judah into Babylonian exile, as God was cleaning his house, Jeremiah had said, you're going to be 70 years in exile, and then I'm going to bring you back. Daniel's reading that going, he's looking at the calendar going, that's right now. We're going to be going back. And Daniel went and prayed. He started praying out to God and God showed Daniel way more than he was asking for. The Lord showed Daniel as he's there in Babylon in service of the king of Persia, modern day Iran, interestingly enough, that Judah would not only be brought back from this Babylonian exile, imminently brought back, that the 70 years were almost complete to where Jerusalem would be restored and the temple would be rebuilt, which happened under Nehemiah and Ezra. But God showed Daniel there that the Messiah will be coming exactly 483 years from the day that the decree in Daniel's day by the king of Persia that the Jews can return and rebuild the city and the temple, that exactly 483 years, this was the prophecy. And you can do the math. According to the Jewish calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we go by, but the Jewish calendar that they went by, from when the king of Persia gave the decree, and this happened, it's recorded in secular history as well as in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, the ancient Persian king, which trips me out because the ancient Persia is modern day Iran. One of their ancient kings and the decrees of the Medes and the Persians are irrevocable. This king stood up and he said, the Jews have a right to return to their land and rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. And he gave them permits, he gave them materials, he gave them guards to guard them on the way back. And today, the Iranians want to destroy Israel. It's, the, it's those that are, the mullahs that are holding the nation captive, prisoners. You know that 98% of Iranians right now are rooting for Israel in all this conflict in the Middle East. They want Israel to win because they, if, you, if, if, if these guys would let the people go, they'd all get out of there. They're prisoners in their own place. They're not armed. That's why in our country we have the right to bear arms because we know that governments can turn tyrannical <laughs> you know, and we got to figure out how to do all this. You know, we got these shootings and stuff, but the, to put our arms down, people with power become tyrants. These poor Persians, these beautiful, talented Persians, they all want to be out from under. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. 
the ancient Persian king stood and said, the Jews have a right to return. We're giving you materials and permits. We're going to give you an escort to get you back. And Nehemiah and Ezra went back and they rebuilt the city wall and they rebuilt the temple. But God showed Daniel more than he asked for it. He said, 483 years from when this decree goes forth in Daniel's day to rebuild, the Messiah is going to come. Okay? And if you do the math, according to the Jewish calendar, king of Persia gave the decree exactly 483 years to this day that we're looking at here is when Jesus is coming. And so when he's referring, if you had known this day, your day, what I, who, you, you know who I am, I'm the Messiah, but if you knew what I was doing here, and Daniel said, Daniel said what would happen to Messiah when he comes in on that day. And I covered this, I covered this in Daniel 9. If you want to get even a better, you know, if you want to take a closer look, Pastor Ed, he always does a better. I'm a preacher, he's a teacher. But find his teaching in Daniel 9. If you want to take a deep, deeper dive into all this, here's a book. It's called The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson, who was a major player in Scotland Yard. He was like a detective in Scotland Yard, the, the elite police force in London. But he did all the calculations. And he shows how Jesus came into Jerusalem and presented himself as Messiah on the very day that Daniel said he was coming. The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. I think we have copies in the bookstore. But Jesus here, he says, if you had known, even especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. He's, he was coming into the city not to make for their local and immediate political peace, but something so much bigger, something for so many more people, billions and billions of people, Something that is everlasting. He's bringing everlasting peace between God and human beings. Not only for the Jewish people, but peace for all men. God is not willing that any perish. He's going to make peace with the Romans that will come by faith in Christ. Amazingly, in the same prophecy, and you can find all this in this book or go to Pastor Ed's teaching or if you want a little overview in mine, in Daniel 9. But amazingly, in that same prophecy of Daniel, centuries before Christ, God showed that when the Messiah comes 483 days from when the decree went forth by the Persian king to rebuild It says in Daniel 9, verse 26, that the Messiah will be cut off. When he presents himself, he'll be cut off, but not for himself. Not because he committed a crime or for some selfish reason. He'll be cut off. He'll be killed. Daniel, the prophet, saw this. He comes on the very day, and he goes, and he's cut off. 
He dies for your sin and mine. And in that very prophecy, he goes on to say, and then Jerusalem will be destroyed again. The temple will be destroyed again. And it was 37 years later. As we look back in history, secular history, Rome came in and leveled the city, destroyed the temple. Wow, the days are coming. Jesus said it. Verse 43 and verse 44. Verse 42 again, if you had known, if you had known, if you'd been paying attention to the, to the prophets, and this is what I get out of this, and we'll close with this. I have desires, I have frustrations that are so loud inside of me that I scare myself over how I might be missing what God is saying. I, I, I'm scare, I scare myself that my expectation might be set, not by God's word. And the reason why God is concerned about this is because we set ourselves up for disillusionment, for disappointment. If you had known, Jesus said, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden. So they're gonna turn on him. They're gonna keep pushing the Romans until the Romans, Pax Romana, the Romans didn't put up with troublemakers. They came in and smashed them and Jesus sees it all. If only you had known what the scriptures say. This is why he's weeping. And he understands why we weep. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be dialed in to you. And we want to be dialed into what your word is saying. Above all of our desires and our frustrations as Americans, as people that love our nation, we want to be dialed in as followers of Christ. Lord, we want our expectations to be set by your word. We don't want to be missing out on the peace that you've already made for us on your cross. We want to be in fellowship with you. We want to experience that increasing growth in, in that inner peace that comes when we're at peace with you. We want to see in our relationships more and more peace as we take up our cross, as we die to ourselves, as we serve one another, as we follow your example. We don't want to break your heart and make you weep because we miss in our anger, in our frustration, what you've made for our peace. Lord, we thank you for your tears. We thank you that they're out of your love for us. Dial us in, Lord. Dial us in. Especially as we come upon this election year. Lord, keep us in your peace. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. We have the gospel of peace. May we enjoy it and know it. May it permeate our souls and radiate from our lives. May we share it. May we share it with others that are angry, frustrated. And we do pray, God, for our nation. We pray as the politics are raging, as the media is doing their thing, and people are angry and divided. Lord, in the midst of this craziness, like like is everywhere, in every place, all around the world, that your people would be walking in peace. We'd be shining the light, sharing the gospel. We'd be part of bringing about real peace, Lord. We'd be busy doing the only thing that will ultimately bring all the political peace. We ask that you do this, Lord, in us for your glory, which is always to our greater joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said out loud together, amen, amen. If you're here tonight and you know that tonight is your night to surrender to the Lord's love for you. I'm gonna be on the edge of the stage. I'd love to pray with you. Or if you would like, there'll be some folks in the prayer room. They'll be glad to pray with you. If you wanna pray, if you need prayer for any other things, get prayed for before you go. Come receive the Lord, and we'll see you next time. God bless you.